Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the Epic Narrative. All right, we are rolling into the life of David. Now, I've been asked, like, why David? Because I just think so many people have some reference to him, even if they've never read the Bible. There's something about the life of King David that is attractive and attracting to everybody, whether it's a story of David and Goliath or the story of David and Bathsheba. Those are probably the two themes that somehow get worked into just about every culture, even religion around the world. There's something about those things. So I wanted I, I want to get into the life of David and we're going to take our time. It's, it's uh, as always, I'm not going to rush through this. I'm not trying to just look at his leadership qualities. I'm not trying to just look at his worship qualities. I'm not trying to, I'm just, I'm just going to talk about his life. And I think that there is so much there, so much there that we could be at this, at this microphone in my basement for a long time. <laughs> I might even have to take a bathroom break once in a while, but you guys don't mind. Not that you'll even know, because because you know my producer is amazing, and he will uh, he'll cut and cut and paste this so fast you're not even gonna know. But uh, you know if if periodically my dog runs through or grandkids or something else happens, I'll let you know what you might be hearing in the background. But currently. Currently in my basement, it's quiet, and here we go. So the story of David is is it starts with Saul. I I I really tried to get around this a little bit because it it just makes it all the longer to start with Saul. But that's where it really starts because we wouldn't have David if it wasn't for Saul, and you wouldn't have Saul if it wasn't for Samuel. So Samuel is the prophet that. Um, is in charge of the country of Israel. It's he's he's the man. He is quote the voice of God, <laughs> and that's uh, that's you know some people say well that's the way God wants it to be. He wants you know one person to rule the world with his voice, and I don't think that's the way God wants it to be. I think it's one of the ways. Like I I don't think God's I don't think God's narrowed into that sort of thing. And I, so this is this is one of my little things. You'll hear this all the time as, as, as I tell stories. I think God can deal with possibilities. I think his sovereignty oversees every possible choice, every result from those choices and the nuances of those results. So whatever you choose, I think he he knows about and his goodness, this is where sovereignty runs in. His goodness and love will over override whatever the results are. And sometimes we choose what we would say like the ideal choice and all we know is the goodness of God. And sometimes we don't choose the ideal choice and so we get some negative results and then God's goodness comes in and will it will, you know, work all things for the good. And we sit back and we say, whoa, uh, God must have done the bad thing so that this good thing could happen. And and I think that's a horrible way to look at God. Well, God gave me cancer because then, then my wife or my son or my daughter would finally come see me. 
No, like, no, God doesn't need to. <laughs> I'm sorry. God doesn't need to do that in order for the good to come. God can just be good. And the, the cancer is horrible. God hates cancer. Why would he use cancer? I, I ask myself this. If you think God did it or or caused it, does he do that or have that in heaven? If it's not in heaven, then God doesn't use it. So back to Saul, Bob. No, 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 I can talk all I want. I can talk. I get this little voice in my head. My my little engineer, he likes to like tell me, Bob, you're off track. I'm not off track. It's a podcast. I can talk all I want. But you're you are right. I did kind of go off. But we do want to thank you for your reminder. And I will stick with the story. But you're going to get those, you know, you and, and if you've ever heard me tell these stories, you know, I go off these little tracks and, you know, my engineer is always help trying to be helpful. And sometimes he's just freaking annoying. But either way, I'm glad he's here and uh, keeping an eye on things. All right. So Samuel is the voice of God. And so most people think whatever he says is what God says. I don't think Samuel was inerrant. Uh, in everything he said. And that's probably a scary thought for some of you. I think he was inspired by the voice of God. And often his personality was part of the way he delivered what he heard, what he was inspired to say. Not that everything he said was inspired, but when he was like speaking for God, I think his personality was there. And I think his personal issues were there. And I don't think that changes for anybody down throughout time. And I know you may come from a theology where prophets are not something that you believe in, but it doesn't matter. I just don't think you can. I don't think that when when a prophet, whether Old Testament or nowadays, speaks, quote, from God, I don't, I don't see them going into these trances and their eyes rolling back in their head and they just start. This is the voice of God for you. Blah, 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 blah. Oh. Wow, what just happened? I I just don't. But Samuel had that role. He had that position of ruler, of voice of God, uh, the one who connected the people to God. And I don't think that was God's ideal plan, but it, God can work with it. God literally can work with anything. That's how good he is. That's how powerful he is. That's how loving he is. He's like, if we need to set something up so that you feel comfortable, I can work with that. He's not he's not the type of God that says, if you don't set it up this way, you know, I'll kill you. Although a lot of people like to present him that way. I don't think he is. I think his sovereignty is bigger than that. Uh, I think a lot of people consider God to be sovereign because he's literally turned us all into puppets and we have no choice but to do certain things. We, we all the way down to like turning left or right. God knows. God knew you were going to do that. God knew he's, he's preordained that. Oh, man. And that just makes God so small. He's so out of options. Any, any, either, either no one has any choice or if somehow we freak him out and make a different choice, like then he's got to crush us like a grape because now we've, we've walked outside the will of God. It, I know I'm making predestination and sovereignty an incredibly simple concept here, but, but that's the way people approach a lot of this. So, I believe a lot of people approach Samuel that way. Like he was the answer to all things because he was the voice of God. 
So everything's running along great with Samuel. Everybody loves Samuel. Everything goes great. Uh, but Samuel has two sons. And the two sons are raised in this culture where dad's the voice of God. They're kind of like the pre-preacher, stereotypical pastor's kid. Not not what I mean. I've met a lot of great pastors' kids, but but the stereotype of the pastor kid is they are rebellious, angry, um, they hate God, and and they cause a lot of troubles for Dad. Samuel's boys were that way. They were horrible beings, which to me speaks to Samuel's inability as a father, which is another nuance to me as to why I don't think everything Samuel did was it was you know, inerrant and inspired by God. I think, I think he, because I don't think God would have had him raise his boys like that. If God was really the only voice that Samuel ever heard and his personality never got involved in anything because he was the prophet of God, then there's no way that Samuel's boys would have been as horrible as they were. But as they grew up, they realized that they could, they could be like pseudo prophets and they could they could uh, judge people with, quote, the voice of God, but they weren't, they weren't the voice of God and they didn't hear God. They did what they wanted to do. And it says that they took bribes and they, they, they ruled unjustly. In other words, they, they made the situations worse and they made themselves rich. And these were the, these were the children of Samuel who were by culture poised to take over for Samuel. So this is what the people are looking at. Okay, if Samuel dies, this is what we're left with. We're left with two incredibly corrupt, evil people that are going to become, quote, the voice of God and lead our nation. They were not happy. The elders of Israel, those who oversaw the tribes of, of the the uh, 10 tribes, or the 12 tribes of Israel were not happy about this. And they could see it. And they were hearing the grumblings from everybody around the country. Oh, you know, we do not want Samuel. So oh, is there any way we can get somebody? Is, you know, can Samuel live? Like Samuel was a good judge. He did hear from God. He did do things righteously. But his boys, they're terrible people. So Samuel's got that whole uh, parental slash home life thing going on. But he's... He takes on the enemies of of God's people. He takes on the Philistines and they, you know, they win a number of battles under Samuel. Samuel is is a pretty good leader on that end of things, which is not unusual for people that are, you know, have leadership. They're, They're often very good leaders, but not great relationally. And I think Samuel is that prototype, that that picture of that. He just he didn't get relationships really well. But man, could he lead? And the people loved it. And so they'd go to battle and they'd win battles and then they'd come back and they'd everything was great. And and um he would often bring the Ark of God with him, Ark of the Covenant from the temple. And people, I mean, that just that just, you know, that was that was oh man, that was so great to have the ark there. Because it just made it it made every victory look like they were undefeatable. And that's obviously not true, but it's the it's the legend, right? The legend of the ark. If the ark shows up, 
Israel always wins. If the ark shows up, their God is greater than all of our gods. We better, if we're going to battle, we better make sure the ark isn't there because if Samuel brings the ark out, we are not going to make it. <laughs> I'm just thinking somebody's out there going, I thought he said the story started with Saul. I know. <laughs> it does. But you don't get to Saul without Samuel. That's what I love about stories. It just They just layer on top of one another. It's ridiculous and fun. So I'm having fun. <laughs> so Samuel, Samuel goes into battle with the Philistines. And the battle's not going well. The battle's not going well. So what, what, what do they do? Well, he decides to call for the ark. The ark shows up. And the Philistines hear this incredible cry, this, this enthusiastic cheer. These people are just like, just like, woo, 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 woo. how do they do that? They do that like, I can't do it. <laughs> I hear it when I see the news from the Middle East and stuff. When people are at rallies and they're all excited and they have like this, this, this call that they do from the back of their throat. And, Something like that. It goes something like that. <laughs> it's terrible. That probably made some horrible podcast right there. Somebody's like, please turn down the radio. Well, whatever you're listening. I know you don't listen on the radio because radio's like, I don't even think that exists anymore, does it? iHeartRadio, I guess it exists. But it's not really radio. It's all internet. Uh, Bob, I know. Sorry. Uh, yes, I will get back to this. Uh, so the art comes out. And the Philistines hear, hear the the enthusiastic ridiculousness that's going on. And sorry, I dropped my phone. And uh, and they see that the ark is now being brought in. And there's there's this whole wave of fear that comes over the nation. And I'm getting all this from First uh, First Kings and I or no First First Samuel. Sorry, First Samuel and. I don't I don't do a lot of references. Just know that it's there and you can read it and follow along. I, I'll do periodic references, but um it, anyway, so he that the Philistines get nervous and then there's this wave of bravery that comes from the Philistines and they're like, Listen, we can do this. If we all fight as one, we can beat these guys. And they do. And the Ark gets captured. And taken back to, to, to the Philistine capital. So the Israelites come back defeated. And Samuel, the keeper of the temple, the voice of God, has lost the ark of God. Not a good deal. Now, I'll get more into that later on in the story because it, it, it uh, becomes a pretty significant um, thread that we need to we need to look into uh, way later on in the story of David, but just know that Samuel lost the ark. Samuel has two horrible children that are poised to take over for him. And the people, the elders of the, of the nation come to him and they say, we want a king. We want a king. All the other nations have kings. We want a king. Now, Samuel had to take this personal. This was not like a, this wasn't subtle. 
this wasn't this wasn't like somebody who, like a fashion statement like ah we're going to you know we're going to wear this shirt today because everyone else is wearing it this isn't this isn't even i don't even think it's rebellion on this on the side of the israelites which a lot of preachers pull that pull that card right well they're rebelling against god 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 wanted prophets to run the show most of the time because those preachers also consider themselves prophets and they want the people in the church to never question their leadership because God's appointed, appointed them, right? So God appointed the prophets and man wants a king. And don't you become like man, you know, you should always stick with the prophet for the prophet is the voice of God. They are the, the work of God on earth. They are the ones that will connect you to God. They introduce you to God. They help you win victories for the Lord. And if you rebel and ask, ask for a king, you become under the leadership of man and and all of you know all of god will be against you and uh, and i i understand where they get that because that's Saul, that's Samuel's reaction Samuel's reaction is basically it's it's personal and and his reaction sounds really personal because basically what they're saying is you raised two horrible children we don't want them to rule over us and you lost the ark. You lost the ark of God. Like you, like we could handle, kind of, sort of handle the concept of maybe letting your, letting you keep this position at least until you die, as long as you kept winning battles. But now you lost the battle, and you lost the ark, and your children. So this is personal on a lot of levels to Samuel because they're basically saying, we don't want you to lead us into battle anymore because you lose, and you lost the ark. We don't want you to lead us to the place where your sons take your place because they're horrible people. So you're a bad leader and you're a bad father. And Samuel basically, I think, becomes ugly. And he says, you know, what you're doing is rebellion. What you're doing is bad. You're going to be sorry you ever did that. Uh, God put me in my place and you're, you know, you're rebelling against him. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not unusual, I don't think. I think a lot of people in ministry re react this way when they're asked to leave. It's just true. I was asked to leave a, a ministry position uh, once and man, it's it's tough. It's tough to to walk out of that meeting and think, you know, think, oh, well, everything's everything's going to be fine. This is just, you know, the next step in God's plan, and and I'm not part of it. I mean, I try to keep that in mind, but I remember, especially the first 20 minutes to half an hour, man, I just, I literally just, I was white as a ghost. I only know because the guy, you know, who saw me first was like, what just happened to you? And everything inside of me was like, I just got fired. Even though they didn't ever use that word. And to their credit, they tried, they really did frame it as best they could. They framed it in such a way that, and, and honestly took care of me and my family for, I don't know, seven months before I found somewhere else to go. And that they were committed to that. They were like, we will take care of you until you find somewhere else to go. But you need to find somewhere else to go because you can't stay here. And to their credit, they did that. I, I'm telling you, that couldn't have been hard. I, uh, you know, from my position, 
in ministry, I've never seen that happen. Now, it might have, but I've never seen it happen. Most most of the time when a minister gets asked to leave, he's given a severance package and told to pack up. And it's over. And to their credit, they didn't do that. And really, they they literally gave my wife and I an opportunity to talk people through what had happened the last Sunday we were there. Honestly, it was it's it's a bizarre story, but it didn't it didn't change the way I felt. Like I felt horrible coming out of that meeting. Felt horrible. The only light in the darkness was the only you know the only voice I kept hearing was, "I am a good shepherd." do you trust me? I'm a good shepherd. Do you trust me? And I was like, you are a good shepherd and I trust you. And that's, that's, that was my saving mindset through that whole thing. So I think, you know, when I see this story, like that's what I think of when I think of uh, the nuances of this story. I think Samuel gets done with that meeting with the elders, even after he told them, this is a terrible idea and you guys are terrible people. I think he walked away going, I can't believe I got fired. I can't believe they want a king over me. I, I mean, yes, uh, my, you know, I, some level, I admit my children are bad, but, you know, they they have good in them. And I, I think I think I could work on that. I, I think I could I could help them become better people. And and by the end of, you know, by the time I die, they'll 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 be ready. They'll be ready to lead the nation and. And and I, I can get the ark back. I, I'm sure I can get the ark back. It, it, it can't be can't be that difficult. Um, we'll just put together an army and we'll go find it and and drag it back here. And I'm sure he went to God and was like, "What in the world just happened? Like I thought you were you were with me." And God's like, "I am with you. I am." I'm not changing my mind, but they want a king, so let's get him a king. Again, I, I, God, see, I, this is where I think my little nuances about God's sovereignty. I don't think God looked at this and was like, "Oh no, we've got to, we've got to fix this." Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make them keep you in as prophet. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix your boys so that, so that they want them to be their leaders. Like God's not limited. In his plan, his sovereignty doesn't mean I can't make any changes. He's like, well, the results of all your choices, I I could see that this probably could happen. So let's give him a king. I'll bring him to you. Now, some people, again, because they think God is wrath-filled and judgmental and angry half the time, you know, he loves, he's always loved, but then, you know, he gets angry, so be careful. He didn't, I don't think he looked at this and said, fine, you want a king? I'm going to find you the worst person possible, and I'll make you pay for your rebellion. God doesn't have to do that. Rebellion has its own cost. Sin has its own cost. Ultimately, the wages of sin is death. There's always a negative cost to rebellion. And the people could have went to Samuel and said, listen, we have we have problems here. We we need to work this out. They didn't approach this relationally. They didn't go to him and say, Samuel, 
listen, we love you. We think you're, you know, you do a pretty good job. Wish we, we do need to work on getting the ark back. But listen, we can't have your, your sons are terrible people. We can't have them in charge. We need to figure something out. They could have went that way. They didn't. They went, they went with a different plan. Let's go with a completely different plan. Let's go with a king. Everybody else has a king. It puts us in a position to look like the other nations. We claim that we're a nation. Let's, you know, establish ourselves a little more, uh, not just have a religious um, priest, you know, a religious leader as our as our king. Let's let's have a legitimate king, and we'll keep Samuel. Like Samuel, you're not really fired. You just get to hire your new boss, which is a horrible position to be in. I mean, I think about the time that I was asked to leave. And and it would have been it would have been so much more complicated if they said, okay, so while you're here, um, we're gonna we're gonna bring you a couple uh, people that we want you to interview, and then um, we want you to like work alongside them to take your place and do literally, you know, your whole job except for the voice of God thing. I mean, in Samuel's case. Like the, like over half of his job was now going to be taken over by somebody who was technically maybe a co-worker, I guess. Maybe he wasn't really going to be the boss, but he was going to oversee the nation. All Samuel was going to be able to do is bring him what he believed God said, and then it was up to the king to decide whether or not to do it. And we see that in several cases in the, in their relationship. So uh, Saul, meanwhile... <laughs> Back at back at Saul's place. So Saul is, I don't know, I think he's, uh, let's call him 29 years old. Because <laughs> historical timelines are historically not exact, even though people like them to be exact because it works well with their stories. But I've read enough um history books and literally read books on how they tell time in history to know that there's really like, I think there's basically two main approaches to it. And they, they are very different in their, in timelines, but generally speaking, let's just, let's just call him 29. So he's 29 years old. He's married. He has, uh, three sons at this point he's well established as a as a man so to speak but he works for his father his father has a family business that is is renowned in the nation and probably internationally they are mule breeders now i, I <laughs> they are they are ass men. No, Bob. <laughs> My engineer is cracking up. I know, I, but it's a podcast, and it's true. So <laughs> I, I can't say that in most churches when I tell this story, but it's true. They, <laughs> they're ass men. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like years of suppression are coming out. Okay. They, <laughs> and you say to yourself, you say to yourself, well, what's the big deal? Like, they're just, 
mules. They're just jackasses. It's true. But back in that day, in that culture, mules were more valuable than horses. Horses uh, did great, but they often got dehydrated. Uh, their ankles are notoriously um, uh, tender and would often uh, get you know bruised with the stones that are that you have to walk over when you go over the various mountains and hills and valleys of the terrain in the Middle East and or they get sprained and then you know it takes it takes a long time for them to heal because all their weight you know sits on these twigs oh my gosh like if you look at the you know the the way a horse is built it's it's literally like a locomotive on top of toothpicks it's it's crazy. They're they're beautiful, powerful uh, beings, and I love them. I love horses, but mules were better. They were better for their culture, agricultural culture. Everything was agrarian. They were an agrarian society, mining, farming, fishing. Everything ran by mules, dragging barges up and down uh, the rivers, the 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 plows, the carts the um houses the wells the the mills that would that would crush the stone it's it just mules were everything uh and they were rode into battle uh more than horses they were they lasted longer in the desert they they didn't get dehydrated as fast they didn't lose their footing as quickly as horses do there's a ton of benefits and if you look at at mule breeding they often get almost as big as horses anyway, and they're and they're sturdier. They're better for all that horses do. You could get a mule to do it, and it they would last longer, and be and they were stronger. So this was like this is like having your dad run the largest truck and car dealership, you know, in the nation. Everybody that wanted a good deal. And excellent service goes to that dealership. And that's where Saul lived. He lived in that kind of environment. So his father was that guy. Everybody knew his father. Everybody had a mule from his father. Um, and Saul worked for him, which makes sense. He's the firstborn son. He's the one that would take it over if his, you know, when his father died. So he's kind of in this in this uh no man's land as far as importance goes and i'm sure because of so many um i think illustrations in his story saul suffered not suffered saul had in him what a lot of us do which is this level of self-rejection and self-rejection is is this insidious cancer in the mind that says, if if I get acclamations, I don't really deserve them. If I get loved, it's because they don't really know me. It's, I don't deserve it. There's something about me that's disappointing. There's something about me that isn't as valuable as somebody else thinks I am. I'm not as valuable as I think I am. 
And it usually comes from lies that you pick up in childhood. And I have a feeling, given the power and authority that his father had, that there was a level of expectation that's, that was put on Saul as a child, that the father, whether whether he meant to or not, there was something about him that that you know made Saul think that he was less than other other kids, that his father expected more out of him. Even if everybody else was doing it, he would be a disappointment to his father if he did it. And and I get that all, not all of it. I, I, I think we first see a picture of that when we first get introduced to Saul. We get introduced to Saul. He's, he's on his way to find some donkeys that had run away. Some of the, some of the uh, tradition says some of the breeders, some of the female donkeys had escaped. Now I have a this it's it's ridiculous in the culture of the day that Saul Saul being a firstborn son of a wealthy influential businessman in the nation that he would be assigned the job to go find these donkeys with just one servant to everything about this says you've let me down go fix the problem this tells me if you know he he comes in or or odds are Saul wasn't like wandering around keeping an eye on the donkeys. He was probably in a tent working with oh, probably dozens of servants who were overseeing donkeys, breeders, and and people who you know fed them and mucked the stalls stalls and and kept an eye on them in the fields and and he was selling them and and working deals with with farmers and and other nations and other breeders and all of that like that's what he would be doing he's he's the firstborn son and and he has three sons of his own and he's showing them what to do and how to do it and then somebody comes to him and says i think we're missing some and he's like what do you mean i don't know you know there's i think we we've lost three or two or three of the of the breeders from the pen so he goes whether he goes and tells his father or somebody tells his father and the father says, well, go find them. And he's like, well, we are. He goes, no, you go find them. You lost them. You go find them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the desert, but there's no way that's an easy thing to do. I don't know if you've ever been in the Middle East. I haven't, but I've seen pictures. And I picture this uh, row this whole like small village of huts and tents and and houses and and then this vastness beyond it valleys and hills of of agriculture and grass and various herds and and of course a lot of donkeys because that's where Saul and his family did business out of and and I'm sure he probably went around the various pens the various fields the different places that they had uh donkeys and he was like nope 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 so then where do you go you're looking around at, at literally the vastness of the of like a moonscape but with grass and you go so you just head in a direction you know he probably looked at a servant where do you think they went i don't know uh they probably followed the river or whatever well all right let's go that way so they started down and they're wandering around. Now, I don't know. Do you call donkeys? Maybe. I mean, if these are breeders, they probably had had them for a while. So maybe they had a call or a whistle 
or Yelp that they would do and the donkeys would come running. Maybe they had some bags of, uh, not big bags, but like a couple bags of grain and they'd rattle them or shake them or, or tell the donkeys it's, you know, do the symbol or the sound that would tell them it was time to eat. But the donkeys are free. They're having a good time. They're eating whatever they want. This is kind of fun for them. And Saul clearly doesn't have a clue where to go. And, and by the end of the night, he's like, you know what? We haven't found them. My dad's probably going to wonder where I am. He's probably thinking, my, I'd like to be home with my wife. Like, this is everything about this, these little exchanges for me points to this place of, of, I'm, you know, I'm a disappointment. I'm disappointed. I'm a disappointment in my father. I've disappointed my family. Uh, I'm disappointed in myself. I'm out here doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. I have no idea where to go. I'm, you know, I'm stupid. I, I, you know, this is just bad. And the servant, and again, to me, this exchange illustrates what I think is is this internal self-rejection issue with Saul. The servant is trying to help his master out. And he says, let's, you know, I've heard that there's a seer, uh, a prophet that lives near here. Why don't we go there and ask him? Maybe he'll get something from God and God will tell us where the donkeys are. And Saul's like, okay, like, let's try it. There's, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. Let's go. So they head that direction. They have no idea what Samuel looks like, which again indicates to me the fact that Saul probably hadn't spent a whole lot of time in the temple. Maybe he had never been. I do believe he believed in, in God. I believe he trusted in Yahweh. I think that he loved Yahweh. I think he worshiped Yahweh. I think he, it was his interactions with, with Yahweh were his only, the only times that he would once in a while feel loved unconditionally. But he never believed that it would be there forever. It happened in small portions. So they get to the town and they see, uh, they see this guy. Now, Samuel has already been told by God, I'm sending you the next king. He's going to come to your town. He's going to be looking for mules. But I want you to um, have him spend the night, have breakfast with him, and then tell him in the morning that he is the answer to Israel's uh, problems. He's like all the nation is waiting for him. Now, that's a beautiful thing for God to say. All of the nation is waiting for you. Again, that goes to this whole idea that I don't think I don't think God looked at Saul and said, I'm going to find this incredibly gifted screw up and I'm going to put him in charge of my people so that they know never to question me again. He found an amazing man who had a great heart, a heart for him. And he's like, I'm going to bring him to my man, Samuel, and I'm going to have Samuel tell Saul that he's the next king. Now Samuel is waiting at the town. He's waiting and and in walks Saul and his servant. And they walk up to Samuel. They're like, "Uh, so we're looking for the seer or prophet. Do you know where he is or where he lives? Samuel's like, it's me. 
and I've been expecting you. And uh, don't worry about your donkeys. They've already been found. They're already back home. And uh, your dad's actually wondering where you are. So I want you to spend the night uh, here at my house. And then in the morning, uh, I've got something to tell you. So Samuel takes him to worship God. And I think he does that because he wants to see Saul's interaction with heaven. And I think he's incredibly blessed by it. I think he looks at Saul and he sees somebody who becomes enraptured in the presence of God. And he looks at that and he, and I think at some level he's jealous because I don't think his sons are like that. And when you're a parent and you have children, if you're a parent and you love God and you have children who don't and you're at a, at an event and you look around and you see somebody of similar age to your children worshiping God wholeheartedly, it's an amazing experience because everything within you is blessed and also saddened. But you're blessed and you're filled with hope because it's like they can, they can get there. They, you know, yeah, they can get there. And you see the possibilities. Again, you're, you're renewed in your heart when you're in the presence of God. And I think that, I think that Samuel had that kind of experience with Saul in the presence of God. So they had dinner. He made him a nice bed on the top roof, or top of the roof, which meant he would be cool at night. And uh, he woke up in the morning, Samuel made him breakfast, and he said, all right, uh, everybody's home safe. You need to head home. home. Your father's going to be waiting for you. Everything's going to be great. And then the servant is sitting there, and Samuel says, uh, I, want, I want you to go up front. I need to talk to Saul alone. Now, this is interesting because he wants to talk to Saul alone. And in talking to Saul alone, he tells Saul, you are the answer for Israel. You're, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And on your way home, you're going you're gonna to run in, hear the signs that God's going to give you. You're going to run into um, two people who are going to tell you that the mules are home safe and your father's looking for you. Uh, then you're going to run into three people who one's carrying, oh, I should have I looked this up. Uh, one's carrying wine, three jugs of, uh, one's carrying wine, one's carrying three loaves of bread, and one's carrying oil. Oh, Bob, you should read the Bible. I'm sorry, I don't have, I don't, I don't have it open. I should have it open. Anyways, and then I'll figure that out for the next one. Um, and then he says, and then you're going to run into this band of prophets from the prophet school, which to me is a pretty funny concept. And he said, and, and there they're going to prophesy over you and you're going to prophesy with them. So Saul, I think, is blown away by this because I don't think he, he has that kind of confidence. But he had just spent this amazing evening in the presence of God. And I think that in the presence of Samuel, his heart was just on fire for the things of God. He has breakfast with him. He gets this, these words of encouragement from him, and he starts off on his way home. And on the way home, he meets the two people who tell him that the, that the mules are fine. 
he meets the three people and again they're all carrying what they're supposed to carry and the one guy gives them two of the three loaves of bread and then they run into this band of prophets which i don't know if you've if, if you're not from a culture or a theolo- theology that allows for, for prophets you pr- probably don't really have any idea what i'm talking about but but a band of prophets can be pretty nutty to be around because they're all like they get excited about every little thing Every little thing, they see God everywhere. They're awesome people. They see God's goodness all the time. They see his his signs of his presence and, and the signs that he's involved and the signs of his goodness everywhere. So they're, you put them all together in a group and they're just, they can get like ridiculous and they're so much fun. And so I think Saul runs into these guys and, and he's he's already been, he's had this like constant encounter with God from the night before and then and then again reminded hey i am with you and i love you and then the three guys who give him the one of which gives him bread he's like hey i'm with you and i love you like i'm not lying to you you are my chosen one you are my beloved you are the one that will lead the nation then he runs into the band of prophets who who are just ecstatic and they see Saul and Saul starts to prophesy which for a prophet in that day was bizarre because you're supposed to be trained in prophecy. You're supposed to be, that's what these, these prophets were coming from. They were coming from a quote, prophet school. And they were being trained on how to be a prophet and how to speak the voice of God. And, and now Saul's speaking and he's prophesying and they're freaking out in all the right ways, like not freaking out mad, but freaking out in a, in a static behavior. And they're just jumping up and down and they're prophesying even more. And they're like, Saul prophesies and he's not even a prophet. Like, this is amazing. He clearly is connected to God. That's really what, what it, God is showing the people so that the prophets can speak truth and say, Saul is connected to God. We saw him prophesy. It is amazing what he, what he said. And it's also spent, I'm supposed to be encouragement to Saul. Listen, I am with you and you hear my voice and you speak it clearly. Like this is all for Saul and Saul should be super happy. And he is, he is. Then he continues on his way home. He's so excited, so excited. And then he runs into it to family. He runs into an uncle, which is, yeah, I got to take another drink. We'll see how sensitive the microphone is. See if, see if anything blipped. <clears throat> I try not to swallow too loudly. Um, <laughs> what is it? What is the deal with people who eat loud? Right? I mean, I, it's one thing to chew with your mouth open, which is obviously going to be loud. But then there's others who just, I don't know. I, just, I sat with this one guy. I worked with him. Uh, we were both painters at the time and he could make a grape sound as loud as like a potato chip. I, I couldn't understand. It. I, I, and he had grapes, like it seemed like every day for lunch, he had some grapes. And when he was eating grapes, I got to the, it got to the point where I would literally have to, like, I would just kind of smile and it, I'd go for a walk around the house or whatever it was we were painting or I'd, I just couldn't, I couldn't understand where all the noise was coming from. And I couldn't understand how you could do that to a grape. I, I, it, it was bizarre. Anyways, I got, I know, I know my engineer's like, where are we? I, I don't know how I got to grapes eating loudly. Yep. Still at a loss. Anyways. So Saul's 
filled with all of this stuff. And he can't wait to get home. And he meets his uncle. And his uncle says, hey, uh, how was your journey? You know, what happened? Now, this is, this is, again, for me, a very key moment where Saul had an opportunity to tell people what God was doing, and he didn't take it. He had an opportunity to, to reveal what God had revealed to him. It wasn't illegal for him to say, hey, I met, I met Samuel, the prophet of the nation, and he prophesied to me that I was going to be the next king. It wasn't like subtle news. All the elders had already approached Samuel. His father, Saul's father, would have known that the elders of the nation had asked for a king. They knew that eventually Samuel would get guidance from God on how to obtain that king. So this is not like uh, secret information. Everyone's kind of in a waiting zone. Like, well, we'll just keep doing what we're doing until we actually find out who the king is going to be. And so Saul has a chance to say to his uncle, hey, so I met I met Samuel who told me about the mules. And then he, you know, we had breakfast and then he pulled me aside and he actually said I was going to be the next king of Israel. And then this crazy stuff happened on the way home. He told me these three signs and all three signs came true. And I prophesied. I literally heard the voice of God. This is crazy. He doesn't say any of it. He's like, um, everything went great. We, we had a good trip and the mules are back. I mean, it's just that it's just that short and sweet. There's no nuances to the to the wording there. So he doesn't say anything to anybody because I, I think, I mean, when, when you, when you have this, when you have any level of self-rejection, family is the first, first group of people that will trigger it because they know, they know the most about you. They know most of the stories in which you were an embarrassment. They know most of the things that you've said or done that didn't quite measure up to what you thought would be acceptable or what they thought was acceptable they know every time you, you know, spilled your juice at the table and ruined everybody's, you know, everybody's pants because the, you know, you covered the booth with with lemonade. You you they know every time you got a speeding ticket. They know every time that you broke your ankle, sprained your foot, um, punched a wall. They know they know all the stuff you did. And so when you hear and, and see that God's going to do something amazing in your life, it's hard to tell the family because part of self-rejection is they, you know, they, they're not going to believe it. You're not that good. You don't really deserve what, God's, what God said was going to happen to you. You probably need to do a few things in order to earn it. You probably need to, you probably need to find another place, you know, uh, another group of people to hang out with if if you're ever going to get ahead because your family's never going to forget that you're not quite all that they wanted you to be, that you keep missing the mark. And self-rejection keeps that up all the time in your head. Self-rejection makes, you know, every time you come up against a challenge, if you don't, 
it, it feels like an attack. See, when you know that you're loved and you know that you know that you are beloved of God, if you come up to a challenge, then you're you're ready. It, it, it feels more like an opportunity. But with self-rejection, you come up to a challenge, you think you're being attacked. When when you know that you are loved and be loved of God, and you have a choice to make, and somebody says, Well, I don't, you know, what do you want? What do you want to do? When you know that you're loved, you think, oh, well, I literally can do anything I want. Um, And you come up with a decision. But if you don't feel loved, if you have self-rejection and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what do you want to do? You think, oh, my God, don't screw this up. Oh, man, if I, I'm, whatever I choose, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disappoint somebody or it's not going to be what I expect or it's probably not going to work out. So it really doesn't matter what I want. I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't want anything. I probably should just be quiet. And I think I think Saul really struggled with this because he just had this amazing, let's say, 24 hours or at least 12 hours of constant reminders from God. I love you. 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 You are mine. You are beloved. You can do this. I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I won't leave you. And then he sees his uncle and he's like, oh, crud. I can't do this. I can't even please my family. And now now I'm supposed to please a nation? No, 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 no. That's not happening. I'll just I'll just go back to my room. I'll just go back to my house. Go back to my job. We'll we'll pretend this never happened. And that's literally what he does. Literally what he does. And then about a week later, right, Samuel calls all the elders. He's like, okay. We, you know, God has a plan. He has a king for you. Let's all get together. So that takes a while to put everything together because you got elders traveling from all over the nation. You know, they can't jump on a plane or a train or, or their SUVs. So they've got to load up all the camels and the, and, and when all the elders get together like this for this big of a thing, cause they're supposed to bring their families, which means bring your firstborn and and their firstborns and well, however many generations you have, but all the elders bring all of their firstborns and any firstborns that they have. So they have grandkids and great grandkids and they all have to travel and they all got supplies. And so it's, it's no small task to show up for this, for this deal that that's going to happen uh, with Samuel. And they're all piling they you know when they would arrive at the at the appointed place and i know that there are if i if the passage was open i could tell you the place i don't i'm not i'm not trying to get stuck on those kind of details at this point cuz i'm trying to get to the life of david but saul gets to you know this place and and he helps unload everything and basically they would all unload all of their stuff just unpack all the mules the camels the the carts the wheelbarrows and all the servants would organize everything because after the meeting the elders would probably stay in the area and then they would talk about other national things that needed to be talked about but first of course they would also talk about who the newest king is all of this is going on 
And deep inside, Saul has to be thinking, oh, man, I really hope it's not me. Because literally, he could have, his family could have already known. Everyone could have already known. And I, I think this is why God came up with this plan. He's like, you know what, Samuel? You know, Saul is struggling, but that's okay. I love him. So we're going to do another sign, but this sign will be to all the elders that he's my man. So I want you to cast lots, which is basically a lottery, right? You just you're picking rope out of a out of a hand or you're, you know, out of a bag or your numbers out of a bag. Like it's just it's kind of ridiculous, but it's, you know, God's like, I'm not, I, I, this kind of stuff doesn't bother me. I, I can, I can handle it. I don't look at it like gambling. I'll, I just, I'm trying to show Saul that I'm with him. I'm trying to show the people that I'm with him, that he is a, he is a, he is the heart of a, the leadership that I want over my people, which is a heart after God. I believe he had the same heart as David, but he had this struggle with self-rejection. So in walks Samuel, so to speak, and you know, I, I guess it could be dramatic. They got the, the big the big tent is set up. I don't know which family brought that. Big tent set up. All the elders are seated in their appropriate places. I'm sure they all had them arranged as they should be. They all have their big pillows out. They've all had something to drink. They've all had um, something to eat. They've all had some general discussions about maybe some snide remarks about this one or that one about being late or about the size of the pillow or the color of the pillows or the sons that are with them or it just goes on and on. Then there's others that are complimenting one another. Like this is, it just takes forever in this culture because they did, they weren't rushed like we are. They're highly connected and they know that they consider them all, all themselves to be family at some level. So they they finally get to the point where they start casting lots. And and Saul, I just Saul is just like begging God for this not to be true. So the various lots get pulled and eventually you know various uh tribes are eliminated, this tribe's eliminated, it gets down to just a couple tribes and of course the tribe of Benjamin is still in the race. And Samuel's thinking, oh, no, 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 no. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Like, I'm I'm still in the running. And I really want God. God, please pick somebody else. Please pick somebody else. Please pick somebody else. Please, please pick, 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 pick. And then the only tribe remaining is Benjamin. And the elders of Benjamin are sitting there. And they're like, oh, my gosh. The next king is coming from our tribe. Like, this is awesome. They're excited. I bet you Saul's dad is really excited. And they're also kind of holding their breath because now each family that's still there in the tribe of Benjamin, all the elders of the tribe of Benjamin are sitting there going, okay, okay, one of us is going to be king or one person in our family is going to be king. And that makes us a pretty big deal. And then... Families start getting eliminated, but the you know Saul's family's still there. And then when it gets to just Saul's family, I think that's when Saul runs. He runs and he he goes to the 
to the tent, to the room where all the luggage is stacked. I mean, he's in a complete panic. I mean, you can picture this in a, you know, in a, in a movie, like he's just, he just runs out of the tent, hyperventilating his eyes scurrying the, the countryside for a place to hide. And he sees the pile of luggage and he literally just runs and he hides in it. He hides in it. Not, not just, stands there panting like he hides in the luggage. There's no way to change the nuances in the Hebrew. You, he's hiding in the luggage. And the lots are, are drawn and it falls on Saul to be the next king, the slash first king of Israel. Now Samuel knows that this is going to happen because Samuel knows that God chose him because of all the conversation they'd had the week before. And there is Saul, chosen to be the next king of Israel. I bet his father's like, yes, yes, my firstborn son is going to be the king. Saul, my son, my son, where is he? Saul, Saul, Saul. And everything within Saul Here's his father calling for him, and he knows I'm already disappointed him. I've already let him down because I'm not there. But I should be there. But I don't want to be there because I, I don't think I deserve to be king. I don't think God, I don't, I don't think God is gonna. I, 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 I mean, God kind of has to love me. Uh, God, God said he loved, but he's God. He's out there. Like this is the other thing that self-rejection will do, right? It'd say, well. Yes, people love me, but they love me from out there. Like nobody really loves me from inside. Nobody loves me for what's going on inside. It's all out there. And it hurts. And it hurts to hear his father call for him. And it hurts to stay in the luggage. But it hurts more to think that the negative ramifications of disappointing the nation is beyond his ability to handle and eventually Samuel comes into the luggage area. I don't know if Samuel got a word of knowledge from the Lord. I, I kind of think he did because I think, you know, God was like, no, go get him. He's in the luggage. So he goes in and gets him. He's like, Saul, come on. And he pulls him up out of the luggage and he walks him into the room. And, you know, I'm sure his family applauds like crazy. His sons are probably super excited. His father's very proud of himself i think uh a lot of the elders are clapping not all of them and samuel immediate or saul immediately picks up on the fact that not everybody's happy about this and they have their elders meetings and and it becomes clear that there are some of the tribes that aren't super happy with the fact that saul's been chosen but they can't quote argue with the voice of god so they don't but they're not real happy about it and i'm sure that um his father had a few conversations with Saul over the fact that, you know, you can't run off like that anymore. You know, don't embarrass the family like that. You're the next king. I just think there was a lot of a lot of pressure put on Saul. And so after all of that, Saul goes back to work. He doesn't set up a palace. He doesn't set up a council. He doesn't call for an army. He just goes back to work. He's literally out, quote, plowing the fields. Now, again, the nuances of that word doesn't mean that he's necessarily running 
the plow. It's just that he's out there and the because he's in charge, he's plowing the fields. He's probably not actually sitting on the cart or pushing the pushing the the blade through the through the ground, but he's out there and and someone comes to him and says that basically someone is calling Israel for help. There was a there was a large um, city slash tribe outside of the nation that were friends with the nation, and they were in battle. Um, they had been threatened uh, with death and maiming if they didn't pay up, and they reached out to Israel and said, "Would you help us?" And it says that the it says that that um. It's it's uh oh man. I think it's in Samuel, first Samuel twelve, uh where this starts, but it says that the presence of God came mightily on Saul. And the way that it's worded is one of those ways where people where it's easy for you to think, well, God like showed up. But God's whole thing over and over and over again in scripture is I don't ever leave you. I'm a personal God. I'm a, I'm a relational God. I don't ever leave you. And that's important because we're going to see things. The Again, the way that translators worded it, 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 and, and we read it quote in the English, it's, it's easy for us to be like, well, God's out there and then he shows up and he does something here. God never leaves you. So the presence of God gets stirred up in in Saul because it's this is a justice thing. This this whole nation is literally going to lose an eye. They want the the enemy wanted to poke out one eye of every of every man that was there or something to show their submission and and Saul's like no no we're not putting up with that so he sends out a an impassioned message to all the nation all the tribes of Israel saying we're going to war and all the tribes show up and Saul shows up on the morning that they're all supposed to submit and get their eyes poked out Saul shows up and defeats the enemy and liberates this city. He brings freedom. And that is something God is very passionate about. He loves freedom. He loves freedom. And it says at that point, after that victory, all of the nation came behind Saul. All of the nation accepted Saul as their king. Because they saw the passion of Saul. They saw the passion and connection that he had with God. They saw the passion and connection he had for justice and for freedom. And they said, that's something we can get behind. There's a guy that can be our king. And it says all of the tribes came up behind him. All the tribes followed him from that point on. And it was at that point, basically he's 30 years old. It was at that point that he... Uh, sets up himself as king and, and in essence establishes a palace and and there's a lot of logistics involved in that and yeah 
that's uh, that's where we're at. It starts with Saul. And I just, uh, I think we're going to end it there for today. For today. Uh, because the next round is, again, uh, what happens to Saul and why David needs to be anointed. <laughs> and then we'll get into the life of David. But Saul's so much a part of it. I wanted you to have those kind of those kind of background with Saul because I think we'll see over and over again in the interactions of Saul with David you're going to see that Saul struggles with being loved by God and being approved by him being anointed by him being uh, affirmed by him and when you struggle with self-rejection you'll start to look for those things from other places and even if those other places give it to you there's no way that it, it, it either doesn't last or you don't really believe it and it just becomes a crazy, crazy world to live in when you believe that um, that you don't deserve to be loved. And I think Saul really struggled with that. Anyways, hope you guys have a great day. And uh, I'll see you again as we continue the story. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the epic narrative if you have questions for bob or would like to reach out for booking please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com if you haven't already please subscribe to the epic narrative podcast on apple podcasts spotify or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded see you next week for another chapter in our story on the epic narrative <laughs>